Welcome to Sweat the Details, brought to you by Nest Realty. I'm Keith Davis, and I'm joined today by Jim Duncan, and our guest, Erica Vixelio, the Executive Director of the Fountain Fund, located here in Charlottesville. Throughout this series, we have spent time talking with influencers and leaders in the real estate world. Today, we thought we'd take you in a bit of a different direction. Throughout the life of Nest, we've been committed to highlighting the importance of human interaction, of relationships, and of community building. As we have worked in building our business, the act of building up the people in the cities around us have been crucial to our goals and passion. And so today, we asked Erica to join us. As you'll hear in just a moment, Erica has spent her entire professional career building nonprofit organizations in the Charlottesville area, all of which are selflessly positioned to help those less fortunate. And in the communities around us all, there are folks like Erica. These leaders drive organizations that may serve veterans or the homeless, they may operate to feed the body or to develop a sense of appreciation for the arts. They may be based on religious tenets or on a secular desire for a more equitable world. But deep in these mission statements, beyond the immediate need of the people being served, are organizations that help build up the entire community around it. It is here that donors and volunteers and clients come together and develop relationships that create a culture that benefits all the parties involved. And Erica is one of the leaders who keeps all of this moving. Erica was first the director of the Virginia Institute of Autism, a school for youth of the autism spectrum. From there, she went on to run the Charlottesville Free Clinic, which converts more than 14,000 volunteer hours annually into a healthcare facility for the uninsured in our area, serving nearly 2,600 residents a year. And now she runs a new startup organization called the Fountain Fund, which was envisioned by a former federal prosecutor who saw a need for microloans for the formerly incarcerated. You'll hear a bit about the Fountain Fund toward the end of our conversation, but what we really wanted to talk about is community, how the needs of those around us collide, and how nonprofits bring together all the walks of life to provide vital, needed services to clients while providing service opportunities to others. With that, I welcome Erica Vixelio. Erica, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today on Sweat the Detail. Um, can I get you just to kind of tell people a little about your your role within the nonprofit organizations in sure. Charlottesville and what your history is and how you've kind of come to the position where you are? All right. Happy to do that. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, I've been working in nonprofit in Charlottesville for just about 25 years now. And so uh, I started at the Virginia Institute of Autism. I was the first employee they hired. Uh, and this was an organization started by two sets of parents of children with autism who were looking for some options for their kids that they didn't feel like they could find anywhere else. And so I uh, sort of grew up with VIA, if you will, and became their school director, their development director, and ultimately their executive director. Um, and from there, I went to the Charlottesville Free Clinic. A board member of the Free Clinic called to see if I was interested in the position, and I thought, no, no, because I don't know anything about healthcare. But what I had realized at VIA was that I was very passionate about creating a vision and bringing together all of the people to make that happen. And so I put my name in the ring, mostly to go through the interview process and ended up being at the free clinic for 12 years. Um, and I, I left the free clinic uh, to work at the United Way. And it was, um, it was hard to leave the free clinic because it was a thriving organization with the best board and staff and mission and patience. Um, but I had really realized my uh, passion uh, for um, broader community level work and had really identified what becomes possible when you bring people together to do things that aren't possible alone. 
And so I wanted to work in a larger organization that was um, outside of a single mission. And so I was at the United Way uh, for three years and most recently moved back to a very small startup organization, the Fountain Fund. Um, and probably everyone has heard of the other three organizations, but maybe not the Fountain Fund. Uh, we provide low interest loans to formerly incarcerated people. And, um, and so uh, I've been across the gamut of a variety of different types of, of nonprofits. And, and really um, what has me so passionate about the work is that I think that nonprofits fill such an important role for social good. And uh, if you think of sort of three sectors, corporate, public, and nonprofit, um, it's, it's really clear what corporate and public entities do. And nonprofits can sort of um, target what the other two can't and, and really focus on, on the social good. And so when you put all three together, you have strong, vibrant, thriving communities. And, and one of the great things I heard you saying that was that part of your, you know, your involvement with VIA was these two families who saw a need that they personally were very attached to. Um, your free clinic comment that it was such a great board. And I think one of the questions that I just have for you is kind of that relationship between the board members, the, the founding groups, tend not to be professional development people. These tend to be business people or community folk in, in other senses who just see a need for this nonprofit to exist. Can you kind of talk about yeah. that that interplay between what what the nonprofit role is and what that community role is and how they're attached? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I think one of the main things you'll find in nonprofit work is that it's really a reflection of the value of the people who started them, right? And so, in most cases, it's a grassroots beginning. Um, that's Via's story. The free clinic story was uh, about two physicians who ended up, one of them ended up seeing someone in the emergency room with a dire near fatal condition because she had a chronic condition that hadn't been treated because she didn't have health insurance or anywhere to go. And, um, and the Fountain Fund, Tim Hafey founded that. He was a former federal prosecutor, ran into someone that he had helped to put away for a drug crime, but then learned when he came out about all the challenges he faced in just trying to get started again, re-entering community. And so you'll see that again and again where, um, where then these very vibrant, vital organizations grow out of a very particular need. And oftentimes those um, founders end up serving on the boards. And, um, and initially it's really important to have people that have shared experience or shared passion grow the organization. So on the VIA founding board, there were several parents and families. When I was beginning to leave though, we were really trying to transition to a more professional board. And, and you'll see, I mean, there's, depending on the service you're providing, there are key representation that you're looking for on your board. And, and some of it is going to be the same across any organization but often then it is specific to the services you're providing. And so, um, and so I think that, uh, that what you see then is turning to corporations and businesses, um, not just for their financial support, but also for their board leadership. So um, at the Charlottesville Free Clinic, uh, both hospitals, Centera, Martha Jefferson, and UVA Health System were very involved in a variety of ways, and some of it was through that leadership. And for me, as the executive director, it was so helpful to have 
um, people in influential positions at both hospitals on the board to help advise our growth and then also to help make the appropriate connections to have the broad array of services we were able to. Do, do the within the board improvement of the professional, you know, you were calling professional board members. So folks who have served on either smaller nonprofits or other organizations and, and really just have general oversight history. Um, how do those relationships get get forged? Are these people that you've known from previous relationships or these other board members who are bringing them in or how does that how does that kind of come about? So ideally an organization, no matter the size, has a group of existing board members that, that is focused on uh, board development. So it really is uh, an essential and critical part to, I think, an organization's success is that you have um, a, a very competent board and that you're constantly developing the pipeline so that you don't have a strong board some years and then waver. You just want to always be building on better um, and getting better and better. And so, and so, you know, a lot of it is connections and relationships. And sometimes it's asking people, um, you know, who are, who you don't know well, but you know could serve a really important role. I'll never forget uh, Leonard Sandridge when he was getting ready to um, retire. Who I was that? I'm sorry. Leonard. Leonard Sandridge from UVA. He okay. was, uh, the, essentially the, the the number two at UVA for years and years and years. Gotcha. And I knew he would be in high demand. And uh, and so was very interested, didn't have a relationship with him per se, but found a board member who did to make the connection um, because it, it was, I knew he could be very helpful for all of his wisdom and, and great experience. So I think sometimes it's about thinking about who is on your board, who knows someone else that you might want to get involved. Um, and I think that businesses, too, are thinking of it as a good way to get their employees engaged more in the community. And so I've seen now that more and more companies are um, who have people in their CEO level um, on serving on boards are trying to make connections for their employees to serve on boards um, because it's it's a really a win-win. I mean, it's very helpful to have the expertise that business people bring to nonprofit boards, but it also is very valuable engagement often for the board member. Within you know within real estate, when when we're talking with agents, when we're talking with our our franchise owners um, around the country, this is a big piece for us in terms of how to keep agents engaged in community. Um, and I guess you know part of this is a question of the frontline volunteer workforce versus the advisory boards versus the actual formal boards. Is there is there kind of a, a way that you see your role as either an executive director or, or people within your organizations to foster that kind of fulfillment piece for volunteers to, oh, to be able to go? And, and yeah, I mean, and, and, and so, and that's the thing. I, I definitely don't want to make it sound like um, board positions are the only way to meaningfully volunteer. I, the, you know, for some people, that's the way that they want to get involved. Others really want to be on the front lines and doing, doing the work, doing the day-to-day -day work. Some would rather give their money rather than their time because of their family life and work life. Um, so I think a role, the role of the executive director is to figure out how people want to give back and to make those connections, to make sure that you are creating a meaningful experience. So people talk about philanthropy, and philanthropy is a gift of your 
your dollars, but also your time, and both are equally valuable. And um, and so, and most people um, that I've come across are looking for. They they may not identify as a philanthropist, but I think if we can open the door to a broader definition of what philanthropy means, most people are raising their hands and saying, "Let me know how to get involved." Yeah, one of the one of the first board directors I worked with um, when, on the first time I served on a board. The, the chair had said to me, he said, you know, we need three people on boards. He said, we need those with wealth, wisdom, and work. Mm -hmm. And I think he wants all three to be from every person, but obviously it's not. Um, but there's no question you need the funds to be able to run the organization. But you also need the guidance of, of folk who have experience in, in multiple facets. But that work piece, I think, sometimes is the hard one to find. Some, you know, with very busy people are very busy for a reason. Um, but that work, that effort of, of being able to truly be there on a daily, monthly, weekly basis within the organization, but to put in the volunteer time and be able to, to develop the, the personalities and, and that are necessary for your organizations is huge. Do you, I mean, do you see any, with, with your lens, do you see any particular segments of the business population that, that spend more time? That we're, or, or do you focus on is do you focus on the entire breadth of the economic spectrum, or do you see some particular industries or segments that say we have more people that we allocate to that? I think that um, so personally, I focus on the broad, um, right. but but what I've noticed is that more uh, organizations, more companies are focused on corporate social responsibility, and um, and so there are larger employers in our community that are really leading the way on that CFA Institute comes mm -hmm. to mind and they they have policies that reinforce their culture right. of corporate social responsibility and so um, while not everyone is using that term many companies are are focused on really being um, good citizens in the community but also realizing the benefit to their own bottom line when they have employees that have those opportunities for meaningful engagement. So you'll see things like paid time off to volunteer. Um, you will see uh, employee match programs for people that want to give donations. Um, so there are a lot of ways that uh, businesses are looking at it both for community impact as well as company impact. Has there been a shift in the last 10 years? I mean, you've seen yeah. that that, that component? Absolutely, I would say so. I think it's getting talked about more, and part of it is because some of the businesses that are doing this well are thriving. Um, and so people point to um, top employers and places that people want to work, and most all of them are putting an emphasis on um, some version of how they describe corporate social responsibility. And, and again, I... I are you seeing that that's a generational or societal or both? And I, and I, I say my, 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 I have a 20, almost 25-year-old daughter, yeah. and through her peer group, it seems like more of them are... Absolutely. That's what I'm hearing, and, and certainly uh, the, the, the millennial generation um, is one that wants to be hands-on and involved, and not just involved with... They, they want a flexible work environment and flexible hours and flexible workspace, and opportunities to for purpose and meaning and connection so um, and and that's happening inside of work in a lot of cases but also people want to have their own passion and interests outside of work 
looking at the the workplace involvement, um, you're seeing the millennials in, in large part, and not, and I don't want to just single them out, but employees are in greater number wanting to find better kind of involvement and, and more fulfillment within their jobs, and, and this is part of it. How do businesses and how can how can we talk to other business leaders about how to improve that workplace environment with with the nonprofits? What are you had mentioned paid time off? How does that how does that look just in terms of of actual operational? Is this during the week? Is it just? Yeah, yeah. So, so um, I there are people that give up to eight hours of paid time off that that employees can use at their own discretion with whatever the organization or the project is where they want to volunteer. And then you'll see other organizations that are participating in things like the Day of Caring that the United Way does, where a whole team goes out on a very specific day to, to do that work. So there are, are different ways that it's getting structured. I think that what would be interesting, and I know that this has happened informally, I'm not sure if there's a formal convening now, but there were leaders of organizations that have that focus that were coming together to meet to talk about it. Right. Um, because I think it's really an idea of sharing best practices and sharing ideas about what have what has worked and how it's impacting culture and morale. Does it tend to work better in and again this may be it may be organization organization when I ask this, but do you find that organizations where the company has selected a preferred and I, I don't know if that's the right term, but if uh, you know, preferred nonprofit that they're really sponsoring and working towards that when all their employees are spending time on that organization or is it something better where employees are picking their own passion and, and running with it? So I think that that business leaders often like to have something that everyone can do together. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but what I am seeing is more people that want to be able to make their own decisions about Just that. Just grassroots mm -hmm. decisions. Um, and so I think that it's possible to do both, right? And, and so to, as a team, participate, whether it's a day of caring or whether it's a particular nonprofit that aligns well with your core mission and your work. Um, but then if you can build in something to your company policies that allows people to self-identify mm -hmm. where they want to give their time or money. Right. And you might cut this. I have no idea. But <laughs> with that preface, you know, it was... You know, I, I drive a Subaru on my second Subaru, um, and they have their their I forget their tagline for the charities that they offer. Yeah. Do you see? I mean, I didn't buy. I bought it because it was a great product. It wasn't the two hundred fifty dollars or whatever I gave to Boys and Girls Club was not an incentive. But are you seeing that offering an incentive to you know if you do X, we'll give Y? Is that something you've seen as an incentive for consumers? Huh. I don't know that I have. I know yeah. the um, the example that you're talking about, but I'm not as familiar okay. with that. I mean, we definitely are seeing more and more organizations, though, that are not, you know, forget the small, local, or, you know, organizations like a Nest, but the larger groups, the Water V. Parkers that are founded with a, every pair of glasses you buy will give a pair of glasses away. Right. Or, you know, there, there are lots Tom, of... The Tom Shoes. and Tom Shoes has been doing it. Um, there's a mattress company called Lisa out of, I think, Norfolk, that every ten mattresses they sell, they give one away to vets. Um, I think that's their oh, wow. their group, and I, you know, it's part of the original mission of the, of the company. And certainly, they use it as a marketing piece, but it is not the only marketing piece. It's not. It's not the mission of the yeah. company is to give away free glasses to to third world nations, but they certainly do it, and that is an incentive to to work with Warby Parker and a reason to feel good about giving them profits is knowing that it's going into a into a continued sustainable yeah. um, donation. 
yeah, that that makes sense. I, I what what that made me think about is it needs to be genuine. It needs to be authentic, right? right? And so that's why I I go back to a, 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 it's it's a culture um, that that leadership says this is a value, this is a core value, and people who work here are attracted to that, and uh, because. Um, you can tell. I think you can sniff out when someone's doing it just for a promotional mm-hmm. purpose, right. right? And and so um, and so, I think it's really about it, evaluating what do you want to have reflected about your company in the community, and what are the best avenues for doing that? Right. Um, you had you had said a little bit ago about philanthropy and wanting to expand the definition of philanthropy. And I think for many people, philanthropy is viewed. You would assume the definition would be donating money. Right. That is right. that's the initial and, kind of thought of of how it came about where where this kind of group you know initiated. What is your definition of philanthropy now? Where yeah. where does that go? Well, it it, it really is about finding a meaningfully a meaningful way to a personally meaningful way to give back to the community, right? But I think that when people hear the word philanthropist, they think not just money, but big money. Like you need to give away millions, like Gates and Buffett. But um but that's something that I, I've really tried to, in organizations I've worked in, I, I talk a lot about the culture of philanthropy and helping everyone within the organization to realize that we're all part of creating that culture in our own organization and for the people for whom we serve, whether that's clients or patients or the volunteers or the donors. Um, it's, it's really about helping people to see their role in creating the success of the organization. So yes, we need, um, we definitely need donations and we need money, but in most cases, nonprofits also need people's time. In every case, they need the time of board involvement, but in some cases, it's the engine to the service they're providing. And the free clinic is a good example of that. I mean, the majority of our medical and dental services are provided, were provided and still are provided by, by volunteers. Um, so, so I think that helping people to see that what we want to do is facilitate their philanthropy in a way that works for them, um, really helps, uh, make it more accessible for more people to get involved. And, and just to, to focus on the free clinic for a second, when you say there are volunteers providing things, I mean, for the listeners, volunteers for the free clinic or within the dental group in particular, it's these are full-time practicing dentists who have for-profit organizations, you know, their own businesses they're running, and they're taking one day a month and just setting up shop for, for children in need and, and adults in need of, of the dental care, correct? Yeah, it's, it's like that for, for dental and medical. Both services um, have literally hundreds of doctors and dentists that are providing um, free pro bono services. So... To grow, we, we grew significantly over time because the need was so big. So we did supplement the volunteer work with paid staff, ended up hiring a paid nurse practitioner, a paid psych nurse practitioner, a paid dentist. But that was really to augment the work of the volunteers. So the primary services were provided by people who were donating their time after already working their full-time jobs, which brings up another great uh, way that businesses have gotten involved. We had what was called staff stuffers where restaurants donated meals because many people were coming right from their offices. And so, you know, again, that's a way to find as many avenues for people to participate. And so those meals from restaurants were so appreciated and are not necessarily a heavy lift for the restaurant to do. Right. 
Tell me more about that, the, the, the staff stuffers. What is, what is that? So we had um, the clinic operates three evenings a week, and most people are coming directly from their day job. And so we had about 20 different restaurants in the community who would provide a meal as often as once a month. Um, so for that the volunteers everyone, coming, yes. for the volunteers who are just uh -huh. leaving their job, coming over to continue working four more extra hours. Exactly. Grab so, something so you don't have to on the way over. Right. So we would pick up meals from Sticks, Milan. Um, I mean, great restaurants and right. that are providing that for free. I mean, that's something that, that I, I mean, it makes me wonder if, the, if that sort of thing, you know, is, I mean, it's, it's clearly a need that's being met. And I'm wondering if, this, if it is in existence in other communities or if it's something that, you know, we could use this as a venue to say to our to our franchisees around the you know around the country say, why don't y'all reach out and, and establish this in your community? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I I'm not I am not aware of um, well, I think actually it happens more often than we realize in terms of maybe not in such a formalized way, but um, but that is the other important thing is to highlight how much people are doing that people don't realize. Right. So restaurants who you know are especially restaurants on the downtown mall. Um, I think we, we've heard about getting vibrancy back to the downtown mall after events in the summer two years ago. And even with that challenge, they want to participate and, and give back and help in their community. No, and that's, and that's great. And I will say, you know, one of the other pieces is, when, you know, we talk regularly with our agents about their types of involvement. And we have agents who go to Ronald McDonald House and, and prepare food once a month. We have agents who are volunteering heavily, uh, raising money for their schools or providing services in the schools for their kids, um, or even in schools where their kids are not present. And, and um, you know, but we also recognize that at the, at the corporate level, we need to be doing more to kind of support the community of nonprofits. And we've, um, you know, we were together a few nights ago at the, at a, what we call our Drink It Forward. And I think that is a novel way of just, it's a small financial contribution, but it is an ability to provide an evening for fundraising opportunity for local nonprofits. And for those who are listening, this is a is an evening where we will, um, we book a bar and we buy a bunch of beer for people and then all of their money that they bring in to quote, buy their own drinks is then just donated 100% to the nonprofit. And this has been an, uh, just a way for our agents to bring their nonprofits to us. Um, it's been a way for us to kind of continue the engagement with, with different organizations. And and I think it's that creative piece of so the the you know this bag the meal stuffing for for staff or providing an alternative fundraising opportunity. These are just ways that I think businesses need to be looking at their involvement and, and how they're how they're engaging. So um, any other great ways that you've seen that that businesses are involved in a in a larger level that that you'd like to promote and and see more people do more more opportunities with? Um, so I, I think that. Um I think that one of the real gifts for the nonprofits are is just the exposure that a partnership like that can bring, right? And and so often the businesses have a much larger marketing arm than any of our nonprofits do. And so if we partner for any kind of an event, just having that go out to all of your employees and then if it's something that's going to be happening more broadly in the community, um, having the name out there. I mean, with the Fountain Fund, that's one of the biggest things. Most people haven't heard of it because it's so right. new. And so we're just looking for greater opportunities for people to understand the organization, what we do. Um, and, and so I think businesses um, can, can really be helpful to nonprofits in that regard. 
you brought up the Fountain Fund. Let's let's talk about that one because you have been running that now for a I've little just, over a year. No, but just been even. there since September. So, okay, and it's only been around. We've only been doing lo- loans for just over a year, so okay. it's it's a very new organization. So tell the people. So these are previously incarcerated individuals who, upon release, are having difficulty finding jobs or finding housing or finding just reintegrating into this into the community. Right. How does the Fountain Fund kind of serve that, and and what are the average loan amounts, or what's your so, so it's not even that they're having challenges that um, are unique to their situation. So what we're finding is that there are so many barriers in place to successful reentry. So um, people have served their time. They deserve then to come out and be able to have the same opportunities that others do to have a job, have a home, have access to health care. And what happens is there are so many barriers in the way to being able to get your feet on the ground. And so just an example, most people leave with such incredible debt from fines and fees. Um, So they've served their time, but then they are saddled by debt that they couldn't have paid off because they were in jail, but then because they can't pay it off in Virginia, there's an automatic driver's license suspension. So how are you to get to work to earn the money to pay the debt? I mean, it really is this cycle, criminalization of poverty, a cycle of poverty that is nearly impossible to get out of. And then, you know, you can't, you look at that and some people feel like, what am I to do? What what am I to do except maybe go back to what I was doing? So it really can perpetuate um, something that no one wants to see. And so... The idea behind the Fountain Fund is that we want to remove those financial barriers and see if that is what can make a difference. That if you do give um, people their license, imagine that, so that they can get to work, so that they can try and get a promotion, so that they can get a better job, just taking all those steps that each of us tries to take to better our life and provide for our family. Um, We're really trying to remove some of the barriers and impediments in place to that. So 90% of our loans are to repay court-imposed debt to get driver's license back. Where does the funding come from? It's all philanthropy. It's all donations at this point. So, um, And we have an excellent repayment rate. So ideally, your loan fund is going to ultimately um, pay itself forward. And I will say that our client partners really do, you can see that they get the mutual accountability, and that if they make their loan payments, someone else is going to get this same chance that they got. And so um, that's been really great to see. We have over 70 loans out right now, uh, nearly $200,000. We have um, a goal to seed a loan fund with $500,000 so that we can continue to accelerate the number of loans we're doing. And ultimately, we're trying to have a fountain fund in many different communities. Because while many people are doing micro-lending, people aren't normally lending to formerly incarcerated people. So we want to really... Traditional lending is is not an option for most folks because of their credit is is so poor. And so we really want to make sure that... um, that we're giving people this chance in as many communities as possible. So you mentioned that you have 70 loans out right now, $200,000. I mean, do you, what is it? I mean, I, I can do the math and figure out the average number, but I mean, where do you see these loans valuing value, their valuation? So uh, our typical loan is uh, it's about $3,000, and we usually have a three-year term. 
um, on the loan, we really work with people to make sure that they're going to be successful in their repayments. So we do a full budget analysis and we'll structure the loan to fit within their cash flow. So a lot of times that means that we're trying to get to monthly payments that are less than $100. Um, and so that is one of our promises is that we see this as a partnership. So we're not going to act like a traditional lender, but we are still going to expect you to pay like we are a traditional lender. Right. And so it really means that establishing that relationship in the beginning and being reasonable about our shared expectations uh, up front, including arriving at a payment amount that they'll be able to make. No, I'm sure the last thing you want is to bring somebody in and then create yet another debt that's unrepayable. That's right. That starts them below the, the below the starting point again. That's so. exactly right. Erica, just being mindful of time, I want to thank you so much for for being here. This has been fascinating, eye opening. Um, I do have kind of one question. This is sweat the detail, and and one of our pieces that we always want to know is kind of in your line of work and in, in what you're doing on a daily basis. What is that one detail that you think? anyone within the nonprofit world needs to be focused on, needs that singular point of, of focus for you, for your job, and, and for success? Well, relationships is what comes to mind. And uh, maybe not the answer you were expecting, but it really is all about relationships. So in a nonprofit, it is about um, valuing the people that you are serving. And so whether they're clients, patients, however you refer to whoever your target population is, really valuing them and having them be part of um, defining what success and what solutions are. Generally, people know what they need, and I am more and more seeing our role as facilitating that as opposed to us being the experts saying what you need. So relationships with the people you're serving and a deep understanding of them is important. Relationships with your, uh, with your volunteers, with your donors, with the people that are making the work happen so that you are creating connections that count for them so that they want to keep participating in whatever way they are. And then, of course, as the leader of the organization, relationships with the people that I'm working with so that they are valued, um, that they know they are valued, that they are truly valued. And so I see my most important role as executive director is to make sure that the people that are working with me, I don't like to say for me, that are working with me feel um, highly motivated and that I'm always helping them to be at their best. Erica, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for the time and, and thank you for the work you continue doing for Charlottesville and, and for all these organizations. Absolutely. Thank, thank you, you so all. much.